Okay, let's look again at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. should be uh, up on the screen for you as we read through it. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And we're continuing in one sense from from last week. Last week we looked at those two verses and uh, we were looking at having a, a personal faith that challenges the culture in which we live. And we looked at the story of Daniel and saw that that Daniel was a guy who realised that in order to worship God, he had to worship God with everything of himself. His physical body, his lifestyle, everything. And he also refused to conform to external pressures that were were put upon him. And he said, no, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to honour God with my life. And that very thing had a a transforming effect on Daniel. His internal worship, his his choice to worship internally showed through on the outside. It showed through on his lifestyle and and he even looked good on on the outside. And also he could discern what God's will was. And uh, he he got the gift of of dreams and interpretation. but, But also I think he just began to think like God thinks. And he could discern that God's will was good and pleasing and perfect. So last week we were looking at this in, in, in quite a, an individual way. And uh, I think it's okay to do that. But it's also good to realise that letters like Romans are actually letters to communities of God's people. Romans is a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Rome. And it's really quite a, a modern phenomena that we read and, and receive and interpret scripture in an, in, in an individual way. Because really the way it was written was to a community of God's people and would have been received like that. The Roman church would have said, well, what does this mean for us as God's people? And so I want to approach these two verses in, in, that, in that way. Because really they serve as an introduction to what follows. They serve as a a summary of Romans chapters 12, 13, 14 and 15. And in those verses, what you see is a a kind of description and, and mandate for how to build church that brings glory to God. How to build church that that doesn't conform to the patterns of this world but actually lifts up the name of God and and glorifies him. And last week we we used uh, a classic Old Testament story of of Daniel to help illustrate this. And this week we're going to use a wonderful Old Testament prophetic picture to to sort of shed some light on this. But what we want to see is what should church be like? How should church be that pushes back the culture, that challenges the culture, 
in which we live in. And, and so I want to return to Romans later on. You'll see how I do that. But to kind of frame this, I want to use an Old Testament prophecy, a wonderful prophetic picture that we find in Ezekiel 47. And so you might want to turn to that because we're going to read uh, a reasonably long passage from Ezekiel 47. And it's headed the river from the temple, or uh, it's sometimes called the river of life. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east and the water was flowing from the south side. As the sun went eastward with a measuring line Sorry, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eneglim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Well, central to this picture in Ezekiel is this picture of a river. And the river flows from the temple in Jerusalem. But actually, if you go to Jerusalem, I've never been to Jerusalem, but there, there is no river in Jerusalem. And uh, as far as I'm aware, there never has been a river in Jerusalem. And this is very much a, a prophetic picture. It's a prophetic picture of the flow of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, a river is a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit. A river gushes and, and flows. It's, it's living and it's, it's dynamic. There, there's a main flow, but there are, there are eddies and, and currents. It's unpredictable. It's exciting. It's powerful. And also, with a river, there's, there's a refreshing and, and a peace as well. 
I think often we, we focus in quite quickly on that aspect of the Holy Spirit's character, don't we? And we pray for refreshing and, and just a sense of peace. But we mustn't forget the power in the river. That's as much a part and a description of the Holy Spirit. The unpredictability, the dynamic, exciting life. And the river flows from the temple. Now, this temple that uh, Ezekiel has just spent several chapters describing, it doesn't actually exist in Jerusalem as he's describing it. In fact, at the time that Ezekiel was writing, the temple that was in Jerusalem, the one that Solomon built, that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So there wasn't a temple there as Ezekiel was, was writing this. But also, the, the temple that, that Ezekiel describes in very fine detail was never built. It's never existed. And it's as if Ezekiel is saying, I'm looking forward to something much better. Something better than has ever existed. And actually, prophetically, what Ezekiel was seeing was that God was looking forward to something much better to something much more extensive. And he was looking forward to the church. He was looking forward to the people of God. Because in this covenant age in which we live, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, verse 21 and 22 say this, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this river of of blessing and and power and and refreshing, refreshing actually flows through us and from us. Ezekiel 47 was a, a prophecy that was fulfilled by the words of Jesus. And it's quite a key phrase really, quite a key statement of Jesus that ties this all together. So I've put it up on the, up on the screen, just from John 7, verse 38. Jesus said this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then John helpfully adds, by this, Jesus meant the Holy Spirit. So they have a clear explanation, a a clear interpretation of this prophetic picture. The temple is the church. It's whoever has believed. And the river, these streams of, of living water, well, that's the flow of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, John goes on to write there in John 7 that the Spirit hadn't yet been given, but of course the Spirit was given at Pentecost when the disciples gathered together and and the Spirit was poured out on them. And and we still live in that age, that age of having received the Holy Spirit and personally being baptised in the Holy Spirit. So we are that temple. We are the people who, who have believed and whom the Holy Spirit flows through. So we can observe the Holy Spirit working through us as a church, just like Ezekiel saw the river coming out of the temple. And the angel took Ezekiel along the river with a measuring line to a place where it was deeper. And then it was deeper and it it was deeper again. It started off just being a trickle. And and then the river was ankle deep. 
and then it was knee deep and then it was waist deep and, and then it was just really very deep. You see, God was on the move. There was a, an acceleration to what God was doing. And, and you know, in a very real sense, we sense God on the move in this place. And uh, I know there's something about this year that I feel, and I think this, this feeling is shared by, by John and the other elders, just the sense of the favour of God on us as a church. You know, last year was good, and uh, we, we overcame several challenges. The, the, the moving back into this building was actually a, a challenge in a way that we never really expected it to be a challenge. And planting out Life Church Southampton was a great thing to do, and they're getting on really well, praise God. But that was a challenge, and I think towards the end of the year, there was just a sense of challenge. And it's only really in retrospect that we can say, well, now it just seems different. Now it just seems we're in a place of the favour of God. That, that we're enjoying being church together, enjoying the sense of fellowship with one another. Just in, in enjoying what church is. And, and uh, I, mean, I, I don't believe in tempting fate. I believe in celebrating the goodness of God. And I believe we have much of the goodness of God to celebrate in this place at the moment. It's a sense that God is on the move. And then there's all this stuff that God is doing through healing at the moment, which is, is really quite remarkable. I mean, there's, there's the stuff going on in Lakeland, in Florida, at the moment, which, uh, which you know, it, we're looking at with interest. And, and I just believe that, that God is doing a thing there, but actually it's not just there. It's a thing that is spreading around the world like a contagion. And places like Chorleywood and, and Dudley in the UK, and, and I don't know if you're aware of what's going on in the Baptist Church in Winchester at the moment, but God is, God is moving. God, God is kind of stirring things at the moment. And here, we had a few weeks ago, when John prayed for, for healing in, in the morning, and then we had Chris Kilby in the evening with our encounter evening, and, and many people getting prayed for, and, and it was great last week to hear those testimonies of healing coming through. And if you've got testimony of healing, then do keep bringing it to the church. We need to hear it because we need to see the acceleration of what God is doing. I believe also there's uh, an acceleration in evangelism. And I think we're perhaps only at the ankle deep point at the moment. And yet this year, I just see at, at that increase as God is on the move in us, as we build towards the, the J. John mission. The, the Just Ten mission, which starts Easter next year. But, uh, you know, we've been excited about this for, for some time. The, we first talked about J. John coming to Winchester for, for his Just Ten thing. At the same time as we started talking about the passion. And, uh, I mean, the passion was good as far as it went, but we always had a sense of kind of looking past that to, to the Just Ten thing and thinking, you know, this is... This is um, just, I don't know, we just felt a sense in our spirits that, that as a church, this is where we're going to be investing and, and this is where we're going to see God moving. And, and, and I, I believe there will be an acceleration in, in our evangelism as, as we lead up to that. Just this sense that God is on the move. And the, the man says to, um, to Ezekiel in verse 6, he says, do you see this? 
And really, that's a bit of a strange question, isn't it? Because Ezekiel by now is kind of splashing around in water. <laughs> and the, the man said, do, do you see the river? He said, of course I see the river. I'm drowning in the river. But actually, Ezekiel was meant to look with more than just his eyes. He was meant to look with faith. See, what he was meant to see was that something that had started small had become big. Something that had started contained had become uncontainable. Something that had started safe had become dangerous. Well, let me ask you, do you look at the church with similar faith? Because we are so much more than just a bunch of people who gather together each Sunday and sing songs. We are so much more than that. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not safe. So do you see the significance in the church? Do you know there is no hope for this nation apart from the church? As it brings the message of the gospel. This is God's plan for the salvation of this nation, of this world. And there's no fallback plan. There's, there's no plan in reserve. This is God's plan. Do you know that if it wasn't for the church, God would end time right now? He's not waiting to see what will happen to the oil price. He's not waiting to see if peace will come to the Middle East. He's waiting to see what we will do in this place next week. Do you see the significance of the church? You'll never get people to build this country in a godly way unless they themselves are born of the Spirit. It's only the gospel that can change people. And you know, all this voting on the embryology bill just shows that so clearly. And uh, it just shows that this country has no moral framework. And oh, it got me so angry, I, I shouldn't, shouldn't get started, but I'm going to get started. There were these two motions, right? There was the one about um, hybrid embryos, where they're making embryos of, that are part human and part animal. So they're all voting on that. And then they're voting over here on the abortion age limit. I mean, all abortion is abhorrent, but, but changing the time limit from 24 weeks down to 20 weeks was at least a step in the right direction. So they're voting on that. But here with the abortion debate, they're saying, yeah, but there's, there's no proof of scientific advance. We, we can't show that science has advanced, that, that more babies survive in that 20 to 24, 24 age limit. Where's the proof? And yet over here... In the embryology, the embryo thing, they're saying, well, it's not about proof, it's about potential. It's about what science might be able to do. Do you see the duplicity? Do you see the complete contradiction and lack of moral framework? Here with the embryo thing, they, they focus on these tragic situations of people with Parkinson's and, and, uh, and spina bifida. And, and these situations are tragic. But they say, look, we've got, to, we've got to find cures to these diseases at any cost. And yet over here, a baby is diagnosed at 22 weeks with a hereditary disease. And they say, well, abort it. That's the only fair thing to do. 
Do you see the contradiction? Do you see the fact this country has no moral framework? And it is only the gospel that will change that. And it is only the church that brings the message of the gospel. So do you see this? Let me ask you, when you sit in church, do you see this? You say, well, I'm here, aren't I? I'm I'm singing the songs. Yeah, but do you see it? Do you see the significance of what we are together? Do you see the significance of your community group as an essential building block of Winchester Family Church? Well, as Ezekiel worked his way downstream, it's, it's clear that he wasn't just looking at this river from the safety of the bank. He actually had to get into the water. He actually had to get into the flow. And uh, as the spirit begins to flow, we all have a choice. You have a choice. Either to stand on the sidelines and watch, or to get into the place where the flow is strongest. You know, we sense God flowing on us and through us as a church. Well, are you in the place where the flow is strongest? Are you prioritising get into church? Get into your community group, mixing with other believers. I believe God is on the flow in our worship and we continue to to dig that well of worship and and experience God in our worship times. Why are you you saying, yeah, I want to be there, ready to worship, my my own heart prepared? Are you getting to the encounter evenings, which which are, are just kind of fresh and exciting and we're just experiencing God there? And then we're seeing God flowing through healing. Well, are you looking for opportunities to be a part of that? If you're sick and aching yourself, are are you asking for healing? When people come to you and say, well, I I actually feel a bit under the weather at the moment. Are you thinking, yeah, I want to be stepping out in in praying for healing myself. It's, It's all about getting into the flow. And where the river is deepest is actually quite a scary place. Because you can be swept away. You know, your feet aren't necessarily on the ground. You could be out of control. But do you trust God enough to let go of the riverbank? Because that is real faith. And uh, it's the place of greatest blessing, where the flow is strongest. So that's the, the river itself. The wonderful flow of God's spirit. But actually, the river is flowing somewhere. There is a destination. There's a purpose. Because in this picture in in Ezekiel 47, eventually the river meets the sea. And by now the river is like Amazonian proportions. And there's a massive mingling of, of fresh and salt water. But actually it's the salt water that that's pushed back. And it becomes fresh as the river empties into the sea. And it's a place that is teeming with life. The words that are used are things like swarms of living creatures. How many is a swarm? I don't know, it's more than a few, isn't it? Large numbers of fish of many kinds. And you know, it's great to see the Holy Spirit moving on us moving through us, we're just sensing his presence, but you know there is a purpose. The spirit must flow out from here and into the world. And the spirit of God flows from this church into the society in which we live. 
into the communities that you live in, into Winchester and Eastleigh and, and Charnas Ford and, and the other places around, into the streets where you live, into your families, into your places of work. We mustn't ever have a, a ghetto mentality where, where we enjoy God sort of in these four walls and, uh, and yet we never let it out. Now, it must be the other way. We're not keeping this treasure for ourselves. We're, we're showing it. We're, we're letting it impact the world and, and have an effect. And the fresh water overcomes the salt, not the other way round. We must be a church that brings a challenge to our culture, not a place that, that just begins to adopt more and more of the culture around us. And we can do that. The, the sea that's in this picture in Ezekiel is the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is one of the, the saltiest places on earth. It's, it's 420 metres below sea level. And, uh, and it's so caustic, it is so full of salt, that absolutely nothing can live there. That's the river in this picture, and yet the river, the river flowing into the sea still brings life. And it's at this interface that the life is found. It's not back up the river, it's not far out to sea. It's, it's not within the church where the church is, is having this sort of ghetto mentality and never getting anywhere near the world. And it's not way out to sea in, in the world where places where the church has no impact and, and no sort of influence at all. It's at this interface where, where church is meeting world. That is where the life is, and that's where we need to be. And that's the, the effect of the gospel. When it gets out of the church and into the world, people are saved. And lives are transformed. So we must be a church that has a spirit flowing, yes, but also one that challenges our culture. And is able to engage our culture with the gospel so that we are pushing back the culture. So that we are standing for something different, not the other way around. So what are the ways then that we can ensure that we bring a challenge to our culture? What are some of the values that, that make us stand out in society? Things that we must stand on, and I believe things that will become increasingly attractive to the world as they see that we stand for something different. Well, I think this is where Romans comes in. Because I think that is exactly the point that Paul was trying to address as he wrote the book of Romans. And as he brought the, the application to all the doctrine that, that he brought in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So in chapters 12, 13, 14 and 15, he sets about the task of saying, I want you to be distinct. I want you as a church to challenge the culture and, and these are the values I want you to have. Now obviously there's a lot of stuff in those four chapters and I can't read them even, let alone preach from them. But I want to do a quick kind of survey across those four chapters and, and just kind of bring out the, the themes that are there in, in kind of broad brush strokes. You see, the first thing that we must have as a church, and this is a heading, is we must stand for community, not individualism. Community, not individualism. 
So this is Paul's starting point on how the church should function. And it's that the church should function as a community together. And this is increasingly in contrast to our society. Our society says, look out for yourself. It says, promote yourself. Judge everything by how it affects you personally. And, and really it shows why society is in such a mess. Because society is meant to be, by definition, people relating to each other in, in, a, in a group. That is society. And so a society that promotes individualism is, is like, it's, it's got a self-destruction mandate. It's like a wasp that stings itself. And so it's not surprising then that, that this does not work. And yet the church is counterculture in this respect. And so Romans 12 goes on. Actually, the next verse in verse 3, it says, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And it goes on to say, We are a body together. We all belong to each other. It says, use the gifts that God has given you to bless each other. Because only together are we complete. You complete me, and I complete you. None of us have got it all. We need each other. That's the message that comes through Romans 12. And a visitor said to me recently, out the back there, They'd enjoyed being with us. They said, it's great to be here. You can really sense the kind of family feel among us. And I think, that's just great. does my heart good to, to hear that kind of thing. And uh, I was also reminded, I was at the uh, Brighton Leadership Conference last year with a, a friend of mine who's an elder in a different church. And uh, he... he having been in a few meetings at, at the Brighton Conference, he's not in a New Frontiers church, but he just said, I hadn't realised how much New Frontiers has a family feel. How much it is a family of churches. And, and he just said, quite, he was making a positive point actually, but he said, I really felt like I was on the outside looking into something. And that's great. That's the wider family of churches that we're a part of. But the church should represent a family. There are many strengths to a family unit. There are many benefits of being in a family. There's a sense of belonging, a sense of identity, that having those common aims and objectives, that mutual love, that care for one another when people are in need, that ability to resist attack because we stand shoulder to shoulder. And there's also that discipline, isn't there, in any family unit. I mean, I know that in my family. It's usually me stepping out of line. And uh, increasingly, it's my kids who say, look, Dad, we, we decided we wouldn't do that. You know, come on, you said. <laughs> and that's the benefit of a family, isn't it? People are brought, when people start going off on their own, they're just there to kind of rally together and help bring people into line. Well, all those benefits of a family, nuclear family, work themselves out in the church. The church doesn't replace nuclear family in society. But at a time when the whole concept of family is crumbling, the church stands for something different. It stands in stark contrast. And, and we must work hard to actually build a sense of family in this place. 
We need to work hard with people who are already on, in the church to be building relationships. And uh, also when new people come, we need to be including people as much as possible. Not saying, no, this is our team, we're, we're sourced, thank you. But, but no, come on board, come, come in, be part of what we're doing. And uh, the church is only as strong as the relationships within it. And Ephesians 4 talks about the ligaments of a body being the kind of glue that holds the church together. So, make friends, build relationships, think community. Because it's community, not individualism. It challenges society. But then secondly, we need to be a people of blessing, not cursing. How do we challenge the culture in which we live? Well, we become a community that blesses people and demonstrates God's love to people all the time and hardly ever, if ever at all, curses and puts people down and, and, and is argumentative. Romans 12 goes on to talk about a love that is radical. And it, it talks about a demonstration of love within the church It says that we should be devoted to one another. Devoted to one another. That means that when someone insults you or offends you, you don't just kind of jack it all in and walk away. But you say, no, I'm going to press in there because I am devoted to you. I'm devoted to one another. Verse 13 says, sharing with Christians who are in need. That sense of seeing a need whether it's uh, a material need or, or, or an emotional, spiritual need, and thinking, how can, I, how can I help meet that need in that person? Being hospitable, sharing what we have. But you know, it's not just within the church. It's to everyone. Romans, 8, Romans 12 verse 18 says, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't be argumentative. Don't always press for your rights. It says, bless those who persecute you. And this is radical love. And it's contrary to the society in which we live. Who who is your enemy? People you'd not normally associate with. People who have wronged you. People who have perhaps beaten you to a job position or or something. Well, well, we are called to be a people that, that loves those who don't necessarily love you back that loves the unlovely of society, that brings value to people whose society does not value. And that's how we stand distinct. The last verse of Romans 12 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And doesn't that just sound like a river? Pushing back the salt water. Bringing a freshness into our society. Bringing a place where, where life can come. The church is a community that blesses people. See, back in, in Ezekiel, it was, it was not only in the water that the life was. You see, there were also huge numbers of trees on the riverbank. And these trees had masses of fruit all over them. And and the fruit was lush and plentiful. And and there were multiple harvests through the year. And uh, I don't think we need to over 
allegorise and say, well, this relates to this and this relates to this. But there is a real sense in these trees because they were not in the spirit. They were not in the flow of what God was doing, but they still received a blessing. And I believe there are many people, probably thousands of people, who are within the sphere of this church, who come into contact with us on a weekly basis. Maybe it's people you know, people you work with, even the, the institutions of this city, the, the council, the, the healthcare trust, the, the universities, businesses. And I believe that even though these people, they're not saved, they're not in the flow of the Spirit, but they will receive a blessing through the work of this church. Yeah, they may not get saved, we pray that they will get saved, but they will be simply blessed. Society is blessed by the work of the church. And verse 12 says that there is fruit for, for nourishment, people will just get fed by, by being with you, and, and, and for healing. And there again we see that challenge to be stepping out with, uh, with healing. There's fruit there for healing. It's, it's the effect of the river. And uh, do you know, I just feel such a challenge that we be seeing the potential to be praying for people for healing, especially at this time, because God is doing a thing. So when somebody comes to you at work and says, oh, I just, I've had this cold, it won't go away, or, or you know, I've had this ache, I've got this pain, I've got this illness, a member of my family is struggling with this, you know, let's be thinking, can I meet that need? Say, well, it's a funny thing is happening in our church at the moment. Can I pray for you? It'd be a bit weird, but would it be okay? And I just believe it's a season when we really need to be engaging with that. And it may not be that those people get saved. That is within the sovereignty of God. But a part of this flow of the Spirit is that people get blessed. People are on the riverbanks, watching what is happening in the church. So are we a community of love? Do you bless people all the time and curse people hardly ever? Do you always build people up and look for where you can encourage people and meet people's needs all the time and, uh, and, and hardly ever are argumentative and, and cynical and, and, and moan and groan? Romans 13 talks about submission at, at some length and we talked about that last week. It's a very important aspect of how we stand out in the culture is how we deal with authority and uh, obviously submission is, is crucial but I'm not going to talk about it again. The last thing, the last thing, the last value that comes through Romans, and it's a biggie, but I won't take long over it, is that we are led by the Spirit and not by law. You see, in this description of the river in Ezekiel 47, there is just one negative point. And that's that there are swamps and marshes and uh, it says they did not become fresh and they were left for salt. These were places that, that were a bit soggy. They, they were a bit wet, but they were well away from the main flow of the river. And either they'd become stagnant pools that were just full of bacteria or the water had evaporated completely and, and they'd just be left for salt. 
But either way, there was no life there at all. It was impossible to sustain life. So rather than the river overcoming the salt of the sea, the salt had overcome the river. And in the grand scheme of things, these swamps and marshes were were just on the periphery. They they were just a sideshow. Now, some commentators say that actually that salt might have been used in the temple, but I I don't know. It's not really the main purpose of the river. It's not what the river was about. Do you know it is so easy for the church to get sidetracked from the flow of the Spirit. And what was once a a wonderful initiative, prompted by the Holy Spirit, can, if we're not careful, become a tradition that we cling to grimly. And uh, I've, I've seen it happen. I've seen communion Services and, and the way that communion's been taken in a church that started as a kind of jewel that the Holy Spirit was in, now becoming a, a tradition that, that holds the church back. I've seen people falling out over what type of musical instrument is used with what type of song. I've seen, we see, don't we, on TV, churches we visit maybe, other churches, special words being used at, at special times and And I'm not trying to get at any one denomination or anything, but we must make sure that what starts a move of the Spirit does not become a tradition that we actually elevate and cling to. And it can happen. Even we are at risk, and we must make sure we we don't succumb to that. When we moved out to the Guildhall, we started our worship and prayer evenings. And they were excellent times. They were the twin trumpet call that was part of us being a a people on the move. And yet, a few months ago, we just sensed we needed something fresh in our Sunday evenings. Now, we could have stood on our worship and prayer evenings and said, no, this is what we do. But actually, now we felt God wants to move in us in a new way. We started the encounter evenings. And I just think they're fresh and and exciting. and, And God is meeting with us through those. We had the whole kids club thing. Kids club was used by God over so many years. It was a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit actually through that kids work. And we saw the fruit. And yet felt it was a time when God was saying, look, you need to put all your energies into Sunday morning. And so we stopped kids club and started Brook Street Kids. And it was all about staying in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And being a people who are led by the Spirit. So at the moment, we do Alpha. And uh, I believe that is a thing that God is in and God is using. Now, it may be that one day, something new comes along. And I don't want us to be a church that says, yeah, but we do Alpha. That's the only thing we can do. No, I want us to think, what's God saying? God isn't into chaos. It's not that things change all the time, so we don't know where we are. But we must be sensitive to the Spirit. And, and always looking to be in that flow. Romans 14 and Romans 15 are all about people who are being led by traditions and laws and not by the Spirit. And it was over the food that people ate. It was over what people thought of different days of the week. But the issue was the same. It was people saying, we've got to do it this way. And then being harsh with one another. And, uh, and argumentative. And saying, if you don't do it my way, you're wrong. Well, we need to make sure that, that, that we don't get to that place. Because when you're a church that stands on tradition, 
then, uh, then I believe that doesn't actually challenge our society. What we need is not to pull people into our way of doing church. We need to draw people into encounters with the Holy Spirit. We need to preach the whole word of God and, and let the Holy Spirit come on people as a result of that. And I believe that's what people are hungry for. It's not church tradition. I've got nothing really against yeah, the high churches of this country and, and formal traditional churches. But if what they stand for is tradition, then I believe they are in danger of being left for salt. Because we need to be a people who stay in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be a people of the Spirit ourselves. So we are not harsh with one another, saying, no, you don't do it that way, you do it this way. Within your community group, don't be harsh with one another, saying, well, that's clearly wrong, you need to do it this way. Of course we teach and help each other. But the important thing is saying, how can we encounter God together? How can we be in the flow of the Holy Spirit together. And that, I believe, is the the church that challenges the culture. Now, obviously, you can challenge the culture with being a community of love and grace, but to change the culture, we need the gospel. And uh, we need to engage people with the gospel. And that's a whole other subject. And in your community groups this week, I want you to look at that. You know, I just couldn't preach on it. But I want you to look at Paul when he goes to Athens in Acts 17 and see how does he engage with the culture as, as he brings the gospel. And what you'll see is that he doesn't mock, he, he doesn't you know, placard against what's going on there. He meets people where they're at and says, let me bring the truth of the gospel into this. And I think we can apply that into our situations. But you know, I want us to remember the river. We're going to finish there, but I want us to remember the river. I want us to be in faith. I want us to be expectant that we will feel the full force and power of the Holy Spirit flowing from this place and flowing through us and out from us and actually touching the society in which we live. That we will actually see the life that is there in that prophetic picture. Let me just read to you again. I know, um, well, Jeff quoted some of this in the morning last week, and, and John again read some of the evening. But I just want to read one little paragraph from Rodney Kingston's prophecy. In June 97, just a guy who was visiting prophesied this over us, okay? And then we'll stop. And the Lord says, I will fill this place to overflowing. For as the river runs through your city close by, so a river of my spirit will begin to flow from this place and reach out both to the city and to the immediate area and to affect some nations even beyond the borders of the UK. I am releasing a river of life, a river of healing, a river of health. And soon people will get to hear of the river that is flowing, transforming whole hamlets and villages around. What I'd quite like us to do is to stand and pray into that prophecy. Why don't we do that? Let's stand. Let's get on our feet.
The worship group could, could come back, so I'd like us to, to worship a little while. I'd like us to pray. What, what that prophetic word does, really, is just take Ezekiel 47, a prophecy that's in Scripture, and say, Winchester Family Church, this is for you. Yeah, it doesn't really add to it and embellish it there. It just says, this prophecy, it actually applies to you. God wants to speak it over you. And uh, I just feel a rise in faith for that at this time. And I'd like us to pray. I'd like us to pray that we are in that place. That we are in that river. That we see the effect. That we see the spirit move in the society in which we live. In the places where you live out your life.